Genesis 39, starting at verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Thanks, Carl. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we pray that uh, you would speak to us until your church is built and the whole earth is filled with your glory. Teach us your ways, we ask, that we might understand the circumstances of our lives and that we might trust you through every eventuality and through every trial and difficulty. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.
I don't know if your experience of life is the same as my experience of life, but I'm guessing that it probably is that life is at times often a bit of a roller coaster. Uh, things are going well, and you sort of think to yourself, well, I've hit my stride, uh, you know, I sort of know where life is going, I feel as though everything's sorted, uh, I feel as though I know what God is doing in my life, what he's called me to do, uh, your responsibilities are clear, you, the future is kind of looks pretty clear, but then all of a sudden, everything just falls in a heap. Uh, before you know it, you're struck by some kind of unexpected catastrophe that just seems to come out of nowhere. Uh, all of a sudden, you don't know what's going on. You don't know what God is doing. You don't know what you're supposed to be doing. You don't know what the future holds. Uh, and you just find yourself very uncertain. What is God doing in my life? And then just as unexpectedly, things pick up again. Life can be a bit of a roller coaster, and it can be hard as we're oscillating between those two extremes, things going well, things not going well, things going well again. It's hard as things are oscillating between those extremes to know what God is doing. What is God doing? Why is life like this? Why is it good one minute and then hard the next? Well, Joseph's life uh, was nothing if not a roller coaster. He was his father's favourite. Uh, his father had given him this glamorous gown, this extravagant cloak. Uh, he had dreams about ruling over his brothers, dreams from God about ruling over his brothers. Everything looks like it's going well. Everything looks like the future for Joseph is bright. And yet all of a sudden he finds himself out in the field, grabbed by his brother, thrown in a well, sold to some slave traders, shipped off to Egypt and in the house uh, of this Egyptian master. And he must have been thinking to himself, what's going on? <laughs> what happened to the dreams of, that God had, had given him? But what's incredible, I think, as we look at this chapter, as we look at chapter 39 and we'll push on a little bit later to look at chapter 40 as well, what's incredible is how through all the ups and downs of his life, God is with Joseph and he's providing for him and he's doing him good and he's doing good to others as well. So chapter 39 picks up on that story of Joseph that we looked at last week, uh, that Steve uh, took us through. He's been sold into slavery by his brothers, the Ishmaelite traders who, who, who uh, bought him, have taken him down to Egypt. He's bought by uh, Potiphar, a captain of the guard uh, in Egypt. And while Joseph is in Potiphar's house, God is at work in and through him in remarkable ways. So we're told in verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian masters. Uh, Joseph prospers by the hand of God and as a result of that, he's invited to live in the house. So he's not just a servant in the field, but he's invited to kind of this special honour, if you like, of serving in the house uh, of this Egyptian master. Then in verse 3, that escalates again. We're told when, he, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord had given him success in everything he did, Joseph found favour in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. So because God is giving 
Joseph's success in whatever he does, he climbs up the ranks of the household. Potiphar puts Joseph in charge of everything that he owns, except we're told a little bit later in verse 6, everything except uh, the things that he ate. If you and I were in Joseph's shoes, we might be tempted to think, I suspect, we might be tempted to think that if we were sold into slavery and deported hundreds of miles away into a foreign land, and if we were sold to be the slave of some strange foreign Egyptian man, we might be tempted to think, I suspect, that God would be far away, that that must mean that God is far away from us that God has kind of abandoned us. But that's not the case at all. Five times in the first few verses of this chapter, we're told how God was looking after Joseph. The Lord made him prosper. The Lord did this. The Lord did that. The Lord was with him. The Lord looked after him. Even in the midst of what must have been a terrible trial, God is looking after Joseph. He's doing him good. He's... He's looking after him, probably not in the way that Joseph uh, would have asked for or kind of expected. Uh, if you had have asked Joseph, I suspect, back home with his brothers and his family, how, how, how can God look after you? He probably wouldn't have picked being shipped off to Egypt uh, and being sold into slavery. But even in the midst of those dark and difficult times, God is watching over Joseph and doing him good. And if we belong to Jesus, the same is true for us. That is, even in the midst of dark and difficult times, even when things aren't going the way that we expect, God is watching over us. God is caring for us. I suspect that most of us are inclined to misread God's providence. That is, we look at the circumstances of our lives and we look at the disasters that befall us and the way that we read that is always, God is far away from me. God is not listening. God is is, is punishing me. But the story of Joseph reminds us and in fact proves to us that that's not always the case. That even in the midst of our dark and difficult times, if we belong to Jesus, God is watching over us. God is caring for us. I don't know what dark and difficult times you might be going through at the moment and I don't know what dark and difficult times you might be going through in the next few months, in the next few years. But if things are tough for you at the moment, then please know that, that if you rely on Jesus, that God is watching over you. God hasn't abandoned you. That even in your present dark and difficult times, God is holding you by your right hand. Please know that not a hair can fall from your head without the will of your Father in heaven. Please know that God cares even for the sparrows and the birds of the air. And if he cares for them, then he cares for you as well. And actually, it's helpful to notice that this episode in Joseph's life has a greater purpose as well. So several times in this chapter, Joseph is put in charge of things. He's given authority and management responsibilities God is training Joseph here in, in, this, in this situation for a much greater mission that he has later on. 
This is a kind of a test run, uh, just a little test run, of what Joseph is going to do in years to come. Joseph is going to be appointed to be the second in charge over all of Egypt. And twice in this chapter, God is just training him for that. Putting him in charge of Potiphar's house. Later on, putting him in charge of the prison as well. And often too, in our dark and difficult times, the ones that we don't expect, God is making us fit for something. Making us fit to serve him in some particular way in the future. I spent two or three years before and during Bible college in deep depression and despair and anxiety. And as I look back on that dark and difficult time, uh, God did infinitely more good through that than evil. Uh, and I would say that God used that to make me fit for ministry. And you might think, well, God, well, <laughs> well Carl's not a very good pastor. Uh, <laughs> but imagine how bad I'd be if God hadn't have done that. And I'm sure that if we were to stop now and we were to invite everyone in the church uh, up here to talk about how God had worked in their lives, that every single one of us who know Jesus would have similar stories of how God has worked through dark and difficult times to equip us for something that we never even foresaw, for a ministry that we never even imagined, uh, for a challenge that we would never have been equipped for without the work of God. You could go up to John and Maya uh, after this morning's service and you could ask them what God had taught them through John's cancer. Actually, I think that's a really good thing to do. Or you could go up to Elizabeth Poland and ask her what God taught her through the terrible tragedy of James's death. And don't be embarrassed to ask. Because I think they'd love to tell you about the good things that God has done, the astonishing kindness that God has shown in the midst of unexpected and terrible tragedies. And there are countless people in this church who could tell the same story. It's a great question to ask, isn't it, at the end of today's service. What, what, what has God taught you through dark and difficult times? How has God trained and equipped you for who you are today through the difficult times that you've been through. But notice too that not only is uh, God with Joseph and training Joseph, uh, he's also doing good not just for Joseph but also for the people around him. Uh, he's also doing good for Potiphar and his whole household. So verse 5 from the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in his house and in the field. Potiphar becomes fabulously wealthy and successful because of 
Joseph's presence in his household. Everything he touches turns to gold. This is one of those glimpses of the fulfilment of the promise that God made to Abraham. That is, through one great descendant of Abraham, God would bring blessing to the world. And here in the life of Joseph, God is doing that. And I think because we're inherently sinful people and because, therefore, we're inherently selfish people, when our lives are difficult, we tend to ask, the first question we tend to ask is, what is God teaching me? What is God doing in my life? But actually, sometimes the question to ask, the better question to ask is, what is God doing through me for those around me? What blessing is God bringing to the world through this circumstance? We try and read God's providence only through the lens of our own experience. But Genesis 39 and Joseph's trial teaches us that God uses us to bring great blessing and great good to others as well. It, in fact, brings great blessing and great good to people who don't even know God. Potiphar is just some kind of pagan Egyptian in Egypt. And yet God blesses him because of Joseph's presence. And notice that Joseph's trial makes other people rich while he remains a slave. It's so short-sighted, I think, and narrow to believe that God's plan is to make us successful. God's plan is to bring blessing to the world through us. That's his plan. And his plan is for that, first and, that blessing to come first and foremost through the word of the gospel. Through people hearing about Jesus. And that blessing to the world often comes through our humiliation and suffering and shame. Let's not forget that the mission of Jesus uh, was a disgraced, shameful and suffering mission through which he brought good to those who trust in him. You might look at the difficulties that you're facing at the moment and think to yourself, well, God's not doing anything here, but maybe you need to widen your horizon. Maybe you're only thinking about what God is doing for you and you need to ask how God is using your sufferings and difficulties to bless others. Maybe that person at work who's always been hostile to the gospel, maybe that person will finally open up because of what God is doing in your life at the moment. Maybe that family member who's turned away from Jesus will show more interest as they see the way that you're trusting God through these unexpected and difficult times. God has put us here in Launceston to be a blessing to the world. <laughs> and for some of us, that might feel like slavery in Egypt. But God has put us here to do good to those around us. And he does that when life is going well, and he also does that when life is going badly as well. Well, everything is going super, uh, it seems, for Joseph. 
but it all turns ugly again. Uh, it turns out that Joseph is not only a capable man, but he's also incredibly attractive, and Potiphar's wife notices that, uh, and she quite brazenly says to him, eventually, come to bed with me. Uh, it's interesting to think about how difficult that situation would have been for Joseph. He's not just a man, he's actually a slave in the house. So this is probably not just an invitation uh, as much as it is a command. (laughs) You're my slave, you do this. But Joseph is completely uninterested and notice his reasons. First, he doesn't do it because it would be a crime against his master, against this man Potiphar, who's been so kind and generous to him, who's put him in charge of all these things, who's given him responsibility over his whole household. To sleep with Potiphar's wife would be to betray that man who's been so generous. The lie of our society is that sex and adultery is okay as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. But adultery always hurts someone. It's always a betrayal of someone. It's always a repudiation of someone. I don't know if anyone read The Good Weekend yesterday, or, uh, but there was an article about adultery uh, and, they, and they spoke to one of the many businesses which are cropping up now, online businesses, whose service is to uh, create adultery opportunities. I guess, uh, online, to sort of hook people up so that they can have an affair. Uh, And the author of that article wrote, I thought quite, quite perceptively, it all sounds so simple, so painless, so logical. Another service in the age of services. There's just one thing never canvassed in the glossy universe of consumer cheating. And that's the world of the betrayed partner and possibly the couple's children. What will the discovery of an affair mean for them? As far as anyone can tell, the pain is much the same whether it's generated by the new online agency style of infidelity or the old-fashioned someone at work who understands me kind. In short, a black hole of misery. Joseph refuses to sleep with Potiphar's wife because it would be a betrayal of Potiphar, a man who had been so kind and generous to him. But more importantly, Joseph refuses to commit adultery because it would be a crime against God. Verse 9, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Adultery, all sin, is a sin against the God who loves us and who made us. The God who says, I love you so much that I'm going to put boundaries on good things so that you don't destroy them, so that you don't destroy yourself, so that you don't destroy others. And we say to God, no, I know what's best. Uh, I know how I can use the good gifts that you have given given to me. Uh, Stay out of my life. What would you know? Who are you to tell me what to do? You're just the God who made me, formed me, created me, created the world, gives me every breath that I breathe. What would you know about how life ought to be lived? Joseph rightly calls that out for what it is. It's a wicked thing and it's a sin against God. Well, Potiphar's wife doesn't accept no for an answer. She's persistent, if nothing else. 
uh, and she badges Joseph constantly to sleep with her. But Joseph keeps refusing, uh, and more wisely, he even refuses to be around her, uh, which is good advice, I think. That is, Joseph doesn't even want to be in a context where sexual immorality is a possibility. So she's constantly saying to him, come to bed with me, come to bed with me. And he says, you know what, I'm going to work in the other end of the house. I'm going to, I'm going to be out in the field uh, because it's too dangerous. In the words of Paul, flee sexual immorality. That is, run as fast as you can, as hard as you can, away from sexual immorality. And that's exactly what Joseph does later. Uh, One day, he's caught in a difficult situation. He finds himself alone in the house with Potiphar. She grabs him, uh, and he does the only thing he can. He runs as fast as he can away from the situation. But in his hurry, he leaves his cloak behind, uh, and she uses that to get her revenge as the jilted lover. She accuses him of trying to rape her, and when Potiphar finds out, it's all over for Joseph. He's sent to prison and he loses the honour and the responsibility that he had kind of gained and that he built up over all those years. And again, we might think that Joseph's faithfulness to God would mean that God would let him keep the position. That Joseph's faithfulness would mean that things would always go Joseph's way. Isn't that how it's supposed to work? That God gives us a position of responsibility, we act faithfully and then God lets us prosper even more? Isn't that how it's supposed to work? But that isn't how it works. Sometimes things go badly when we sin because God wants to teach us that how we live matters. And sometimes things go badly when we're not in flagrant sin. Because God is doing something bigger than our puny minds can get our heads around and we need to learn to trust God. And that's what's going here in, on, on here in the life of Joseph. God is, God is doing something bigger than what Joseph knows and understands. So he could look at his circumstance and he could say, well, I was faithful, God, why, why didn't you let me stay there? But God is, as we'll see, sending him to prison in order to prepare him, in order to make the way for him to become second in command uh, in the land of Egypt. One of my favourite prayers uh, is, thank you, Lord, that you're smarter than I am, which might seem like an obvious point, uh, and yet it's remarkable how often I need to remind myself. But the point is this, what I mean by that is this, Thank you that your plan will always be better than my plan. That is, God calls us to be wise stewards. He calls us to be thoughtful about what we're doing. He calls us to plan, to to work hard, to, to try and do things. But at the end of the day, we have to say, well, God, you're smarter than I am. If this if this doesn't work out, if you have something else in mind, well, go for it. Because whatever your plan is, is going to be better than mine anyway. So we should work hard, 
We should work as hard as we can on being faithful, like Joseph was faithful. We should work hard on using our gifts, as Joseph was using his gifts. But if those plans don't come off, it's because God has something else in mind. And that's totally okay, because God's plan is going to be better than ours anyway. That doesn't mean that we stop trying, it just means that we try just as hard and trust God more at the same time. And notice that even with Joseph being sent to prison, God is still doing him good. God is still in control. God still hasn't forgotten him. God still hasn't abandoned him. Uh, Verse 20, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison... The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warden so that the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. It sounds so familiar, doesn't it? The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Joseph is not only fortunate not to be executed for uh, a false accusation of rape, but he prospers in prison as well, just as he prospered in the house of Potiphar. Uh, And sometimes we do everything that God calls us to do. We do it faithfully and obediently, and things don't work out. But just because things don't work out the way we expect or the way we want, it doesn't mean that God has abandoned us. He didn't abandon Joseph. He hasn't abandoned us either. So God uh, turns slavery into an opportunity for honour and responsibility. And again, he turns prison, uh, which at first looks unfortunate. He turns that into an opportunity for responsibility and honour. And then... We see that again even more clearly in chapter 40. And I just want to read that chapter now. Uh, So turn to chapter 40 of uh, Genesis. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker uh, of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next day, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, in my dream I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed. And its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said. 
The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favourable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. Three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that once again he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. What happens in chapter 40 is the making of Joseph. It will be his time in prison which will ultimately bring him to the attention of Pharaoh as the man who can interpret people's dreams. Because it just so happens that while Joseph is in prison, two of Pharaoh's servants are thrown in prison as well. And it just so happens that Joseph is assigned to look after them. And it just so happens that on the same night, both of them have dreams that they don't understand. And it just so happens that the next day they look dejected and Joseph notices and asks, what's going on? Why are you dejected? And it just so happens that Joseph is able to interpret the dreams and to make sense of them. And it just so happens that exactly what he said would happen is exactly what came to pass. And it's as he explains these dreams that Joseph pleads with the cupbearer that when he returns to Pharaoh in three days' time, he won't forget Joseph. Joseph tells him of the injustice that he's experienced and he pleads for help. But in three days' time, the cupbearer forgets the kindness that Joseph has shown and Joseph is left languishing in prison. It would be two years, two years more before Joseph is finally brought before Pharaoh to interpret his dream. Joseph must have thought to himself when he met these two people and when he finally interpreted their dreams, he must have thought to himself, well, this is it. This is my ticket out of this hellhole. And yet it was two years, two more years before God's plan finally came to fruition. And I think that so often we find ourselves in similar situations. We we think to ourselves, well, this is it. This is God is doing this. He's getting me out. He's he's solving the problem here. He's opening the doors for this to happen. And it and it doesn't happen. And we think to ourselves, well, what's God what's God doing? Why 
Wasn't that the big red flag, the big that God saying, yep, yeah, we're going this direction? We're so immediate, I think, that if God isn't fixing our problem today, he's just not ever going to fix it. If God isn't giving us the fruit of our evangelistic enterprise today, we will be thinking that he never will. If God isn't working in the lives and the hearts of our children, will we think that he must have just abandoned them? But so often what we need to do is to wait. More often than not, God is teaching us patience. He's teaching us to wait on him. He's teaching us that it's about his timing and not our timing. But although Joseph has to wait, it's important to realise that God is using all these misfortunes and all these years to weave the events of Joseph's life together for good. It's important to realise that these aren't just strange coincidences. It's important to realise that God hasn't lost control. It's important to realise that God uh, isn't in some uh, hideous battle with the devil and the devil wins sometimes and God wins some of the time as well. No, God is weaving all these events together for the good of Joseph and for the good of his people. If Joseph hadn't been sold by his brothers into slavery, he wouldn't have ended up in Egypt. If he hadn't been falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, he wouldn't have ended up in jail. If he hadn't ended up in jail, he wouldn't have been able to interpret the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker. If he hadn't interpreted the dream of the cupbearer and the baker, he wouldn't have been there to interpret the dream of Pharaoh. If he hadn't have been there to interpret the dream of Pharaoh, he would never have been made second in command of all of Egypt. And if he had been, never been made second in command of all of Egypt, he would never have been able to save God's people, save the Egyptians from a seven years of terrible famine. God was working all things together for the good of his people. The book of God's providence is such a difficult book to read. We think the Bible's hard to read sometimes, but actually the book of God's providence is much harder to read. And yet, oddly, we spend so much more time trying to understand it. Life seems like a roller coaster and we feel totally out of control. But ultimately, what we know is that whatever happens, whether up or down, whatever's going on in our lives, whatever we see, whatever we feel, God is working everything together for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. That's absolutely clear at the cross. The mystery of the cross was difficult to read at the time, wasn't it? The, the disciples thought, well, this is the end of us. This is the end of, this is the, end of the Messiah, the man that we thought that was the Messiah. And Satan thought, you beauty, God's been defeated. The cross was... So easy to misread, but in hindsight, the cross was the defeat of Satan and the victory of God and the vindication of the disciples' hope. And we need to trust that if God can work through the execution of his own son and bring good, and if God can work through the difficulties of Joseph and bring good, 
that God can work through the difficulties that we face for good as well. In personal difficulties, in health troubles, in family breakdowns, in bullying at work or at school, in the end of a relationship, in the failure of our evangelism, God is working all things together for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Amid the turmoil of world politics, amid the genuine possibility of armed conflict between the US and Russia, amid the prospect of turmoil on global markets, amid the threat of marginalisation in our own society, God is working all things together for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. The fact that we can't see it or that we can't understand it doesn't make it untrue. Often we can't see it at the time, but we can look back and we can see the rich tapestry that God has woven. But the challenge is, isn't it, for us at the time to say, God is working all things together for the good of those who love him. The challenge is to be like Joseph in the midst of dark and difficult times, to keep trusting God and to keep living faithfully before him. I've been listening to a new version of an old hymn recently, uh, Jesus I My Cross Have Taken, I think it's called, uh, which I found a great encouragement. Uh, And it talks about many of these uh, exact issues. Let me read it as we finish. Uh, The writer says, Man may trouble and distress me, Twill but drive me to thy breast. Life with trials hard may press me, Heaven will bring me sweeter rest. Oh, tis not in grief to harm me, While thy love is left to me, Oh, t'were not in joy to charm me, Were that joy unmixed with thee. Go then, earthly fame and treasure, Come disaster, scorn and pain, In thy service pain is pleasure, with thy favour loss is gain. I have called thee Abba Father, I have stayed my heart on thee. Storms may howl and clouds may gather, all must work for good for me. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you that you are sovereign over all the world. Thank you that you are always working out your great plan and purpose. Thank you that you have ultimately worked your greatest plan and your greatest purpose out in your son, Jesus Christ, whom you promised in ages past, who you promised to Abraham and to Isaac and to Joseph, to your people Israel, uh, and whom you finally brought into our world as one of us to die on a cross so that we might be forgiven and that we might be reconciled to you. Lord, help us as we see that, as we fix our eyes on the cross, the ignominy, the shame, the difficulty, the disgrace, as we fix our eyes on that to also see the triumph, the resurrection, the power of Christ, the hope of eternity, the victory over sin and Satan. Help us, Lord, as we see that, to trust in you, in our daily trials, our daily difficulties, to know that you're weaving all things together for the good of those who love you. 
Lord, thank you that many of us here can testify to that. We can see the good things that you've brought about in our lives through dark and difficult times. Help us to share that with each other, to glorify you in all that you've done for our lives and help us in doing so, Lord, to to encourage each other to trust you for the future, to keep trusting you, to be able to say, Come disaster, scorn and pain, in thy service, pain is pleasure, with thy favour, loss is gain. Help us to be able to say, whatever we face, whatever we go through, that you are working good for your people and blessing for your world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.